today Father as we bow before your throne of grace it is there Lord that we approach and we approach with boldness because Lord you bid us to come you made the way that we could freely come between the door of mortal and immortality between the door of the natural realms and into the supernatural. We walk through that door. We kneel at the throne. We come boldly there knowing that our requests will be met. Lord, knowing that you're the God who actually became man so that we could make this approach, that you would be the intercessor that would make the way for us and open the door to heaven where that we could come before the throne and find grace and help in our time of need. Lord, there are those that are needy today and are needing a touch from you. Lord, I pray, God, that you'll just reach out to them and to their needs today. Those that are on the internet listening in, those that are far-reaching areas, Lord, wherever they are, I pray that you'll meet with them today. God, those that are struggling with situations that we are in agreement with right now, believe in God that as two join their faith together, that all of hell has to give way and move back because the name of Jesus has now been spoken. Oh, God, I believe that you're doing something spectacular and wonderful in this day. I'm glad to be a part of the moving of your Holy Spirit. Knowing, Lord, that you'll never take any of your word back. But, Lord, that you will fulfill every divine promise that you made. And I'm looking to you today, Lord, to come on the scene for your children. Lord, for you to speak. In the Bible said it was the Spirit of God speaks expressly. Lord, may you speak today expressly and express, Lord, with divine unction, the word of God today in this meeting. As we are the people, oh God, that have been called for this day, for this hour, and we know our position in the word. And we take authority today over every demon spirit, over every every spirit of hell that would want to come against the bride of Jesus Christ. Certainly. Lord, heaven is moving today. Things are changing. Lord, they can't remain the same. Because, Lord, you're in control of this situation. And when you move, Lord, things happen. And I pray, oh God, that you'll speak today from heaven. That you'll anoint us by your Holy Spirit and give us hearing ears to hear. I pray, oh God, that in this service would be a break forth of the Holy Spirit. 
the power from on high poured out the anointing oh God to come upon your people like never before as we move into a new era and a new time in the fulfillment of divine promises I pray oh God that a sense of a great dedication would come with sincerity upon the hearts of your children oh God rise today with healing in your wings there are those that are sick that are needy Lord those that are battling cancer something that was told by the angel of God that would not stand against our prayers and though heaven has witnessed it we're believing today for brother Ron Spencer for sister Danette Pruitt Lord for brother Ross Oglesby oh God for every need that is here in this building and around the world there are hearts of God's children that are crying out to God for God to move and I believe Lord that suddenly you'll do it that there are any things have been set in order in place and the trigger is being pulled and something is happening as the, as you wind up and you finish up the great commission that you gave us to give and that's to go into all the world with this gospel with signs following them that believe in Jesus name meet the needs of your children we pray amen and amen God bless you man good to be in the house of the Lord together and Amen. We just want to welcome each one of you today in the wonderful name of the Lord. And amen. Welcome a new addition, little Zoe back there with um, her parents brought her for the first time. So welcome Zoe and also the winner's family, Brother Joe, Sister Becky. Let's give them a hand. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Amen. May the Lord, may the Lord bless you and just continue to give you the desires of your heart. And each one of you today that has assembled with us, I pray that the Lord will um, just be with you in a mighty, mighty way. And, and uh, so if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 9, we're just going to get right into the word. I've got a lot of things that I'd like to minister on today, a lot of places I'd like to go um, in the sermon that um, as we will look into the manifold wisdom of God and what he's doing in this last day and, and with the full assurance of his promise. I'm going to speak to you today on God remembers. God remembers. Genesis 18 and 9, and they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old shall I have pleasure. My Lord being old also. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, Sarah had long forgotten the promises that God had given to her to God, to Abraham. And she, she felt as if she had solved this issue many years ago when she concluded that she was not the one to fulfill the promise and had given Hagar to Abraham to fulfill it. But you know, when God gives a word, he has a plan and he's got a purpose. And if he's got a plan for your life, there's nothing going to stop that. 
And I believe that we are people of a purpose today that are called and ordained for a reason in this hour. And uh, I believe that, you know, where we're living in, we are living in also a fulfillment of promise. And this fulfillment of promise is almost a forgotten promise by the people like Sarah in that day. And this is a promise I want to go to is Revelation 22 and verse 20. Is actually the, the last things that concludes our book of Revelation, the unveiling of God. And, and, um, and, and it says here, as he, the Spirit concludes our book, he says, He which testifieth these things or gives witness to these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I think this is a very... Um, uh, great and wonderful thought as we look into the fulfillment of the the New Testament. We, we would have to conclude that this was speaking to us because I believe we are the fulfillment of the, of the word of God. That we're here in the day and hour, we're feeling, fulfilling everything that was spoken of a bride people. And of course, this is 2,000 years go for us, but with God, a thousand years is but a day, so this is only yesterday that he said this. But I believe that this is said specifically to the generation, that uh, to this generation, and this was actually written to us, the last generation. And he said, he that testified these things saith, surely I come quickly. And to that, John says, Amen. Now, John has typed the bride all the way through. Remember, the book of Revelation is a symbolic book. And John will actually represent um, us as he uh, looks into the things that are going to be about the end time. And and so many, many of these uh, scriptures, John is actually representing the entire bride of Christ. And so John says amen to these things when he says, surely I come quickly. And John says amen. And of course, he's typed the bride, the redeemed of the Lord all the way through. And, and of course, as John does this, you can see that the bride to fulfill this must get an agreement with this word. When God says, behold, I come quickly to a generation, to an age. And I want to say again, I believe it's to our age that he is saying this. Not just to them of 2,000 years ago or them of, of the mid-church um, ages, but right here at the last age was really to this, to this people that it was written. And he is saying to you, behold, I come quickly because we are in the age, in the day of his coming. And being in the day of his coming, you're going to have to get an agreement with it. When he says, behold, I come quickly, John representing the bride. And to be the bride, you're going to have to say the same thing. Amen. Amen. And when you, you see, he says, I come quickly. Amen. He got in agreement with it immediately. So we're going to have to have a people that are in agreement of his, of his coming. That they, they are not, they're not just laying back in, in unbelief, 
But now they're in agreement with him. This is what he's trying to do with Sarah in the scripture, trying to get her in agreement. But of course, she has these objections as to why it can't happen for her in her day and, and maybe how this is somehow another uh, for somebody else, for, for something that's already happened. And, and, and it's a, about a God of yesterday, not a God of today. And he has to bring it clear to her that there's nothing too hard for him. And so we're going to, too, have to get an agreement with what the Spirit is saying. I've, I've given witness. And I want you to know that we are in an age and a time where God has given more witness to the promises of his word than actually any age that there's ever been. God has left no excuse for our unbelief in this hour. He has made every way where that you would have a firm and constant faith in the promises of God. He showed you, I can heal anything. I can deliver anything. I can restore. I am, I am God. There is nothing too hard for me. And so there has to be a people then come in agreement with it and then begin to pray the last prayer of the Bible, which says, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. This must become the bride's prayer. In agreement with his coming and the prayer for his coming. Now, as we look at this, as I said, it has to become our prayer. And I believe that this is why the evil of the last days become as Sodom was before the burning. So sinful that God could not tolerate it anymore. I want you to understand, you know, maybe your level of toleration has already reached its limit, but God, God comes to a point that he cannot tolerate it any longer. And this has got to become our prayer. It must become the driving force behind every decision we make, by every action that we take. Amen. It must be our focus in this day of behold, I come quickly. Now here is with Sarah, God had given a promise. He had not forgotten it. Ishmael's birth did not annul it, but God remembered his promise, but not as though he had forgotten. I wanted to understand that God doesn't forget. God bless you, Sister Jeannie. He hadn't forgot you either. Amen. Good to have you in service today. But you say, but again, he has not forgotten us. To say that God remembers is to say he is doing exactly what he has promised. God never forgets. So again, I want to cover it again. To say that God remembers is to say that God is doing exactly what he had promised. It may not be what we thought he would do or how we thought he would bring it to pass. But God has a plan and God has a purpose. Even for your suffering, God has a purpose. Because he said otherwise, God would be the author of confusion instead of the author of peace. So God has a purpose and a plan for everything that we are going through. And in every instance of God remembering, we, we see it as always includes action. When God remembers, he has begun to act. 
God never forgets his promises or his people. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe, and he doesn't suffer memory lapses. In every instance of God remembering it, we see in the Old Testament that it always includes an action. For example, God remembered Noah and made the waters recede. And years later, after hearing the Hebrews cried down in Egypt, God remembered his covenant with their ancestors and, and he rescued them or delivered them out of that. Sent a prophet with a pillar of fire. And, and so, but there are times that we feel like as human that God forgets us. Even as Israel, they, for, they got to the point of God has forgotten us. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. God has forgotten us. But he said, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Those she may forget, I will not forget you. You see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. So God is not one that forgets, but God is one who remembers. And when he remembers a a promise, he puts his word into action. So we're in the day and hour where that the word is being activated to fulfill the promises of his word. So we're living in the, full, the, the days of the fulfillment of the word of God. God has remembered his promise and is appearing in his age to fulfill it after a long delay of 2,000 years. And, and of course, you know, even some of the events that happened made men like Jack Moore and Gordon Lindsay write in their book, You know, Bible days are here again because they could see that God had remembered his promise and now the word was coming into action. Sarah and Abraham, their promise had been delayed for for 25 years. But when God called Abraham and gave him the promise of a son and becoming a nation, you know, um, maybe it was plausible then. It was possible then, even though it was still unlikely. He was 75, Sarah was 65. But you know, even when the promise given seemed impossible and Satan delayed it anymore, God had not forgotten it. And with God, he's never too late and there's nothing ever that is too hard for God. So when things even get more difficult, Seems like it's less possible, less possible. All reasoning is all against it. That's when God is moving. And I want you to understand that in your situation, God will not forget you. He will remember you in your situation because he said, I cannot forget you. You know, you may forget to pray for me. I may forget to pray for you, but God cannot look at his hands without remembering you. So in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, once the last one is in the ark, the deluge begins. There had been a delay of 120 years. It was a long time. You know, a whole generation of people were born and maybe others died. The long suffering of God, every day seemed like just another day. And there was no rain, there was no clouds, there was no thunders, there was no warning other than a prophet's voice who warned of the coming judgment. 
And the day the deluge began, it probably began with another bright, shining morning. Now, and of course, when, when, a, uh, when this happens like this, and there seems like God has forgot, and the word of the prophet is not going to come to pass, you know, then the promises and the prophet is mocked. Amen. So it is today. It is as the Bible prophesied at the end time. It, it speaks of the coming of the Lord and, and the time of the process of fulfillment. That, and, it, and sometimes it looks like that God has forgotten, you know, that in this delay, uh, nothing is happening. But things were, you know, and that things are just continuing on as like it's always done. I want just to say to you that I believe the rapture day, that day where, when the, the, the change comes, when the dead in Christ rise, it will be another day just as usual. The sun will come up just like it always was. You see, the morning news will be the same with politics and rapes and murders and uh, bombings and troubles and, and, and strife everywhere. Life will be going on as usual. Yet it'll be a, a very unusual day because it'll also be a supernatural morning. The dead in Christ will suddenly appear and the chains will be on. But think of it. For most, it'll be a day just the same. Nothing unusual. No changes. Everything the same. Nothing's happening. And there's something very supernatural is happening. And yet, for the world left behind, things will swiftly change. And it'll change for the worse. Its light will be gone. The Holy Spirit will lift from the earth. The mighty angel who holds down the evil beastly powers of, uh, upon the land and the sea will lift his feet. And the bride of Christ will leave from here. And when she leaves, all restraints will be lifted from Satan. And he'll become the full king of the earth. And hell will take full residence upon the earth. And Satan's kingdom will be here in full force. Amen. Now, but he's going to have his kingdom up on the earth. And guess what? During that time, as I explained last Sunday, God gets revenge. Amen. He don't get to enjoy his kingdom without a tormentor too. Because God will torment him by pouring out the plagues and bringing him into chains and, and chain him for a thousand years. Are you with me now? And of course, the Bible tells us, though, it's going to be a terrible time for those that are left behind. That he says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you. But he says to those who have been raptured, to those who are now in the heavenly dimension, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell with them. But woe to them on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And then he immediately pursues the woman Israel and the remnant of her seed. Now, we read last Sunday from Peter's second epistle. He tells you what happens when men begin to say in their heart, the Lord's delayed his coming. When it looks like that God has forgotten and things will remain the same, 
People's attitude will turn to scoffing. And then men who once walked with God will begin to walk in their own lust. And I believe we're in the time where when most of Christendom has given up on the coming of the promised son. They just settled down to church joining and holiness people like the Methodists, for example, who were thought of as holiness people some years ago. Many of now have joined with the Sodomites. Others are now pulling away, forming new denomination. And, and there's, there's much upheaval that is going on. And you might ask me, where are we in time? Oh, well, this is nearly 2023, Brother Tim. No, where are we in Bible prophecy? Where are we in the scripture? And I want to press upon you today by the scripture that where we are, we, we are now in a time where the prevailing attitude of many is that the Lord has forgotten his original objective. And they are saying that the Lord has delayed his coming and so they have just pushed it away. It's no longer in the forefront of their thinking. It's no longer the attitude of living every day as if he's coming today. So they come into a lax attitude and this becomes even more prevalent here as the Laodicean spirit comes and anoints people. And if you're not careful, that attitude will show up in nearly everything you do or say. And you know, and it's not necessarily something that will be verbalized, but it'll be an attitude. That attitude will be shown in church attendance where you were urged and told, well, you know, that as we see that day approaching, make sure you assemble together. You're gonna need strength from one another. You're gonna have to hear the word of God to be fortified. You're going to have to gather together in his name even more. But, you know, men use every kind of excuses when, you know, again, this is no longer in the forefront of their mind or their thinking. You know, they become into the time of delay where their attitude, I just say it this way, their attitude really stinks. You know, because they act as if they're going to, things are just going to always remain the same as they've always been. But I want to infer to you today that we are here at the, at the moment of change. We are here at a moment where that, that is suddenly things can begin to happen. And I want to, and I, I don't want to diminish what is happening, looking for what's going to happen because God is actually moving behind the scenes, already working. But sometimes we get so caught up with the news and the world and what it's doing in our daily lives until it becomes oblivious to us what God is really doing. But I want you to begin to realize and be conscious that in this age, God has been doing and is doing spectacular things as he winds up the end time events. You're a special people to be a part of this age. But also there are those that are also a special people that are so specially evil. Because the Bible tells you Very clearly, he said, understand this. In the last days, terrible days are coming. 
For men will be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of money and boastful and arrogant and abusive and disobedient to parents and ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good and, uh, and traitors and reckless and conceited and lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power. And he said, turn away from these. You turn away from them. You avoid that. Amen. And, the, and he said, these are the kind who worm their way into households and captivate vulnerable women, which Brother Brandon said are churches, who are weighed down with sins and led astray by various passions, who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so do these men oppose the truth. So again, it speaks of this anointing in this last day. Opposing the truth. The truth will be opposed. Might as well get used to it. Might as well be prepared for it. Might as well not be shocked by it. The truth will be opposed. I wanted to say even, even right down to the end, to the last message, even within the last followers of the message, the truth will be opposed because the last place to reject him is those who call themselves message message so truth will be opposed but I want to just impress upon you today God is right on time nothing is out of order God had an appointed time and, and it, the wheels of God's cogs of prophecy, as Brother Brandon would say it, you know, grind slow but sure. And I want to reassure you today, God has not forgotten one of his promises. Amen. And, and I, I'd like to step back today and look at the age that we're now living in, where that God has been doing great and mighty things in our generation. Preparing you, trying to do everything you can to get a faith within your heart to believe. And there are many things that has already happened to show us that God has not forgotten us. You know, all the types in the Bible, whether, whether of women such as Sarah or Rebecca or Ruth or Rahab or Esther or the Virgin Mary or men such as Enoch or Abraham or Moses with the Exodus or Joshua with the placing into the inheritance, every one of these, every one of them was speaking of and prophesying and pointing to you people in this hour. Amen. There are more than stories in the Bible. There are prophecies of the last day. And Jesus Christ himself was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So the bride, which is Christ in, in, in feminine form, his body must be the fulfillment of all the scripture. Both, both of the Old and the New Testament. And since he was a groom, the bride has to come forth. For the marriage of the lamb has come. The bride will, will have to be on, on the display of the fulfilling of all the revelations that the biblical patriarchs have spoken and prophesied with their lives. Amen. So if the Bible, if the bride rather says 
and or does something different from the groom, you know it isn't the bride. Amen. Because she is flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone and life of his life and power of his power. She is him. And, and as a man and a woman becomes one at the wedding, so must Christ and his bride become one. One in signs, one in works, one in faith, one in doctrine. Now, Eve was taken from Adam's side. And the feminine spirit was taken from him and placed within her. So must the life and the spirit of Christ be in the bride. And that will make of the bride both mechanics and dynamics. The word and power by the spirit. I want you to say we are anointed with the same spirit that made Jesus the Messiah. And that makes us anointed messiahs to shine forth the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to show that he is not dead, but he is here in bright form by the Holy Ghost, God in his people. So Jesus, the bridegroom, is here. He is here in his people, and he is moving among his bride with a love affair pouring out into her himself. I want to assert to you today that we are still in the days of the pouring out of God's spirit and there is still more of the spirit of God for you to receive. Amen. The bride becoming one with him for the wedding supper and the same signs that are spoken, the word that spoke of Jesus is now to be displayed by the same manifestations that Jesus had. And when we believe that, it creates a perfect faith. That would, and, that, and it's that perfect faith that it takes for a rapture. If the groom said, the works that I do shall you do also, you know, it must not be dismissed. It must not just say, well, that was for Brother Branham. It must be, it must be that we realize the works that I do shall you do also, and it must be displayed in the bride. Amen, if the word spoken by Joel says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, then the bride must be the vessel it is poured out into. Somebody is gonna be the recipient of that. Hallelujah, Mark 16 says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They will speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Then it has to happen. She must be like the groom. The fullness of the word, the Godhead bodily. She must fulfill Isaiah's prophecy of arise and shine for thy light has come. She must fulfill the word spoken spoken of the groom because she is one with him. And that is the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty that were of them that were bruised. Amen. This is, this is the anointing that is upon the bride in the last day. She must have the spirit upon her to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captives. To, to preach the, the recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty. I want you to know it's not just preaching, 
but it's also setting at liberty them that are bound. Amen. So you see, and then to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And I just want you to know, we are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the full, the, the fulfillment of the true Pentecost of the seven ages, of, of, the, of the seven weeks of, of where, where that it comes. And then on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost fully comes. So we're in the day of the Lord's acceptance. God is accepting, is accepting a bride, taking her into rapture. Amen. We are here in a day of acceptance. You are not a rejected people. You are an accepted people. And you see, God cannot forget his promises. If God was prophesying through all of these in the Bible, God cannot let one word of that prophecy fail. It must come to pass. God cannot forget it. God cannot go back on his word. God must fulfill it. Now, Sarah certainly was prophesying of this age. It was a time where the church had given up on the promises of the coming of Jesus. And it just had sunk down in unbelief. Satisfied that Ishmael, the child of the denominational bondswoman, is the heir. The delay has taken a toll on her faith. Instead of her getting stronger, she has gotten weaker. And... And so it is with many today. But I, I, I just wanna, want you to understand, uh, don't, don't become discouraged in this hour. Don't just settle back and think it's all just going to remain the same the way it's always been. Because regardless of how much you perceive it as God's no longer working or God's no longer moving or it seems to be a delay that, that even in our day, there has been a rapid, I just want to, you know, pound it in, a rapid fulfillment of scriptures. I want you to know that even in our day, time after time, things suddenly changed. Amen. And I want you to realize that you're in a moment of sudden change. Things are happening. Things are right at the point where the triggers are about pulled. The sights are aimed. You know, it's all inside. It's, the scriptures are all lined up. But in one moment, the trigger can be pulled. After a delay of 2,000 years, this generation has seen scriptures come alive. Amen. There's been actually a rapid fulfillment of prophecy and and today we can actually say about much of the scripture and declare without hesitation, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled. And, and every divine promise that, that spoke of a bride is, is now in the process of being fulfilled. That, that, that there are things that are, that are in action, that are moving. No matter whether it's in our economy, whether it's in our, the White House, whether it's in world politics, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the sodomites, whether, no matter what it is. Listen, if you can see movement out there, you've got to know that God's doing something in his bride. 
If you can see things happening and lining up there, how much more are we be searching the scripture today to see what's lining up for the hour that we're living in? Now, God has done many and mighty things in this age already, but don't keep it all in the past. Amen. Because, because we're still in the hour of his coming. Scripture is being fulfilled as I speak. You see, this parallels to his first coming. As Jesus of Galilee, where the scripture suddenly become fulfilled, rapid events after delays were actually from Malachi to, um, uh, to, to the opening of the first testament, Matthew, the, that, uh, that there was hundreds of years where that it was just seemed like silence. Seemed like nothing was happening. Seemed like God had forgot. Or God had just given up. Or he had went into heavens and was busy about something else, but he was no longer interested in the affairs of man. But I want you to understand, God had not forgotten. He had, he had to wait until certain things were lined up in his plan because God has a plan. There had to be certain things. Even the book of Daniel would tell of the rise and falls of kingdoms. And it would show you that Rome would come into being and it would come into place and, and here it, you know, it would come with its, with its iron uh, ways and begin to bring persecution upon the Israelites. And the Jewish people, they would rise up with resistance like the Maccabees and whatever, but they couldn't throw it off because it was prophesied. I want you to understand the same thing today. You can do all the prepping you want to. You can organize all the rallies you want to. You can get people to go and march in Washington, D.C. It'll never change anything. I want you to understand the prophecy is there for these things to be as they are. And they are in their place. I just want to make sure that you understand as the bride of Christ, you too must be in your place. Sarah's out of sorts. Sarah's out of her place. Sarah's unbelieving. And she's got to get in place. I want to remind you all the unbelief, all the doubt, all of even the scoffing, the laughing in her heart never changed who she was and never changed God's promise. You see, God didn't just give up on his pride, just not give up on his promise. God didn't give up on the heir of the promise. And God's not going to give up on you. No matter how much you have stumbled, how long you have fallen, how deep you have gone, how impossible your situation looks, God doesn't give up. In fact, he declares, looking at your situation, there's nothing too hard. But my brother, my sister, my friend, my, my children, my this, this, that, oh, oh, oh it's, it's impossible, Brother Tim, it's not impossible. But God 
God sometimes waits until it looks impossible before he moves. And he does this for a purpose. He has a reason. Maybe I don't understand the reason. But God's got a reason and a purpose. And so, you know, you know even though from Malachi to John the Baptist, there's hardly anything that God spent. We don't even have a, rec- a recorded scripture of anything that God said. We don't have another prophecy. We don't have another prophet. We don't have another word from God for right at 500 years. And then suddenly, I don't know how it kicks in, but all of a sudden, even when righteous people such as Sarah has given up, even when Israel was in such despair that it looked impossible, God appears. Angels start appearing. Things start changing. Like I said, I don't know the key. I don't know how to make it happen. I don't know if you can make it happen. I think of the Pentecostals who have, pray, who have prayed and fasted and everything, you know, for 117 years for there to be another Azusa Street, and it's never happened. And yet they would fast and pray and try to call it down, and it didn't happen. But it's going to happen anyway. And I'm just going to say things as something this morning. Even sometimes when you don't believe. God hasn't given up. And your unbelief ain't going to hinder him. In fact, to the matter, he's going to start doing things to get you to believe in again. And maybe in your heart today, your faith has died. Maybe it's at the lowest moment. Maybe you can't hardly hold on anymore. That's when God specializes in things that are thought impossible. And he suddenly shows up to produce the faith in your heart. When you have given up, God doesn't give up. In fact, God remembers. Suddenly, in the days of the New Testament as it opens... Nothing's happened for 500 years. Suddenly, like I said, I don't know how it kicks in. I don't know that, I don't know, you know, sometimes you think, well, you know, what could I do? What could I do or how could I make this happen? God's got a time. God has a purpose. God has a plan, but it's going to happen. Suddenly, an angel appears first to Zechariah. He is a man that is chosen by, by Lot and, you know, as a priest. And for the first time in his life, he is now chosen to bring incense into the holy place. And, and it, this has been done now for thousands of years this way. It was a ritual that was instituted by Moses. And thousands of times before this, the incense, just like this day, had been taken into the holy place. And it seemed just like another usual day. But today was somehow different. That even though it was usual, there was a supernatural element that was beginning to happen. And today as the incense was put up on the fire, which represented the prayers of Israel, today his prayers would be mixed 
with the incense. And suddenly there would appear Gabriel where he says, where he says to Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. I want you to say, I want to submit this. This was not the first time he had prayed. He was now about 65 years old. He had been praying. He had been praying for a promised son. He had been praying for Israel to be delivered. He had many prayers that he had prayed. This was not the first time he had prayed. But today, his prayers were answered. Today, God was moving on the scene. I showed you last Sunday in my closing of the seventh seal that holds a bowl of prayers that are held up. Maybe you have prayed for things and you have prayed for things and you have prayed for things and maybe it hasn't come to pass yet. But there there comes a day. There comes a day when there comes not just a prayer, but a supernatural element begins to move in. And God says, your prayers have been heard. Today, I want you to know your prayers have been heard. They, you know, no doubt, they've been heard for a long time, but they've been held up. They've not been answered. But not only that, but the old woman Israel, who was, she too was a barren woman waiting now for thousands of years. The word that came was that there will come a seed through the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. And it looked impossible. And they were all under in bondage now by the Romans who were brutal. There was all kinds of suffering that was going on. It was an evil day. It was taxations by Herod that would require every man to go to his hometown to be taxed. And babies were killed by ruthless tyrants. They were held captive and, you know, brutally cruel men doing things to them, ravishing their women, destroying their economy, doing everything, enslaving them and keeping them in bondage. But on this day, it's the same, yet it's very different. On this day, it's Zachariah's turn to offer the incense. This is what a thing that as a son of Aaron of the tribe from, and a descendant rather of, of Aaron, that he would, because there was a Levite, you know, and so they also were, were had different uh, various things in the temple, but only the sons of Aaron could operate within the inner framework of the temple. And today was his turn to offer the incense. This had never happened. This happened only one time in his life. And he would be chosen by lot to offer the incense. In other words, if I could say it, I don't know how they did it, but it's like drawing your name out of the hat. And every time that the hat was passed, his name got overlooked. Every time that it looked like that he would be the one today to offer the incense, that that, that he could have a chance at it. It went day after day after day after day, and now he's 65 years old. It looks like he will get old enough, 
Because, you know, when I say old enough, I'm talking about decrepit enough that he could no longer perform in the temple. And it looks like he'll never have the opportunity. And, And yet today he's chosen by lot to do the most solemn part of the the, the day ceremony. And that, that was to offer the incense and it would symbolize Israel's prayers were being accepted by God. He would choose two of his relatives, which are his friends, no doubt, that because they too had to be of the sons of Aaron to go in with him to prepare at the offer of incense. If you can see it for a moment, the first helper that he had would remove what had been left on the altar of incense from the previous evening service. And then in prayer, he would walk backwards away from that, from the altar. And then the second helper now came forward and he would spread live coals that were taken from that morning's burnt offering. And then he would too worship and back away. And as the people and the priests waited outside, Zechariah now stood alone in the holy place. It was lighted, it was lit only by the seven golden candlesticks. I hope you get the picture. And here is all of the the candle lit that had been lit. And you know, the other priests had done their duties of refilling the the vessels with oil and trimming the the wicks on on the seven golden candlesticks. And it was shining brightly. And that as he would, as he would move toward that heavy, that heavy veil that, that hung between the holiest of holies, there would be the altar of incense on which now red coals were glowing. It was as near to the holiest of holies as it could get. To his right would be the table of showbread. To his left, the seven golden candlesticks. And there... He would wait until a special signal indicated the moment had come. And then he would walk forward and he would spread his incense upon the altar. And the priest and the people had reverently moved back from the altar in the courtyard. And now they were prostrate before the Lord because they were offering prayers and thanksgiving for God's mercies, provision, deliverance, along with blessings and asking God for deliverance. Asking God to send that Messiah. And a cloud of smoke from the incense was beginning to form and begin to move upward in the holy place. Zechariah would wait until he was sure that the incense was burning well and then he would bow down in prayer himself and reverently leave the holy place except today was different. There was a wondrous sight that had met his eyes. An angel stood there and he said, fear not, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You see, we too are at an end time and angels appear in the end time. All the prophets and the signposts are saying that this day that angels will appear, that prophets will arise, signs and wonders. And if God did that for those little junctions back there, what will he do when all hell is turned loose? You can expect God to be moving. 
Amen. Angels appearing and signs and wonders on the earth and counterfeits arising and God approving who's right and who's wrong. Prayers that have been prayed. And God says to him, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been heard. We're right now in the cycle where there's something fixing the great and fixing the happen. Well, Zechariah says to the angel, how can I be certain of this? I'm an old man. My wife is, is advanced in age. And he says, well, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to, to, to tell you this good news. But because you have disbelieved, because you have questioned, because you have expressed doubt and wondered how can I be sure of this, when you have stood in the presence of the angel of God, when the voice of God has spoken to you and said, I, your prayers have been heard, and you are now questioning and wondering and asking out loud and verbalizing, how can I be sure of this? In other words, how do I know you're not lying? Because you did not believe my words, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. In other words, if you're going to question this, I'm going to shut your mouth. Amen. I'm not going to tolerate another word of doubt, another word of unbelief. And if you want God to shut up your mouth, you just start questioning what God's doing in this end time. Amen. Because God is not going to tolerate unbelief coming out of the mouth of his people. He will cause you to be silent, but it's still going to come to pass. I want you to know what a contrast it was when the, with Mary, you know, when the birth of Jesus is announced. She doesn't question the angel and how can I be sure of this? You know, how do I know this is true? And, and then offers reasons why it can't happen. But, you know, my wife and I are old, and yet he's got examples of Sarah, past 90, of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, of Rebecca, who, who uh, Isaac interceded for, and she, and she brought forth twins, and all these things. She's got all kinds of examples in the Scripture. And, and Mary didn't have one example of ever being a woman who would conceive without knowing a man. And, and she, she didn't ask, how can this be true? But she, but she said, how will this happen? How will this happen? Now, God doesn't care to, to answer that question. He won't shut you up for asking, how will this happen? The angel said, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You wonder how it's going to happen. It'll happen to you the same way. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. I'm telling you, church, get ready for the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost to come under his shadow, to walk in his light. Because it's not going to come by your ability. And maybe even your faith won't produce it. But I tell you, it'll come by the Holy Ghost. 
because God remembers his promise and it's going to come to pass. And it doesn't matter how much unbelief is in this age, God's going to do it anyhow. How amazing. What difference? What did Mary do? She immediately responded, here's the handmaiden of the Lord. Here my God. If you're going to overshadow me, here, that's me. That ought to be the prayer of every person today. When you hear that the Lord is going to overshadow his people in this last day, then you ought to say, be it unto me according to thy word. Here I am, Lord. Let this happen to me. It's written, it's, it's, it's written in the word, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Let that word be manifest in my life. How amazing it is, but so true to life that upright, moral, church-going people, even ministers, yep, even bride people can be so filled with unbelief, so immersed in a secular scientific worldview that they are unable to bring themselves to believe that God can work miracles today. Some can even construct elaborate theologies to explain why God can't, why God won't, or why God shouldn't perform a miracle today. They'll even prepare sermons. Oh, that which is perfect has come. We don't need that. You may not need a miracle, but I do. Come on, Brother Bradham preached a sermon called a paradox. Paradox is a miracle. Amen. It'll be a paradox, a miracle to get a bride in a rapture, but he's going to do it. It's going to be a miracle to change your body, but God's going to do it. It's going to be a miracle to get the bride of Christ, all of us collectively believing. Sometimes you can get this one believing and that one believing, but collectively to get us all believing, it's going to take a miracle. But it'll be done by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When people begin to take an attitude toward the promise, be it unto me according to thy word. But you see, God went away, went around Zachariah's unbelief and said, I'm going to do it anyway. It's been a delay and you think it's impossible and you've expressed saying, how do I know this is true? How do I know you're not lying? I wonder sometimes how our unbelief flies in the face of God. We're living in a time where the fervent fires of faith have cooled off. Even the fires of Azusa Street have died down the supernatural gospel that Brother Branham extolled of a pillar of fire, of an angel, of a divine gift, of a restoration now becomes a forgotten dream. God says, shut up, Zechariah. I don't want to hear your unbelief. Shut up, people. I don't want to hear that. I want a people like Mary who says, "I, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know a man. Well, it's not going to be you doing it. It's going to be me doing it. It won't be my man's might or my man's power, but it'll be my spirit. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. That's the way it's going to happen. Hallelujah. 
the angel appears to Mary. Mary's visitation went a lot different from the old priest because she readily accepted the word of the angel. But that wasn't all. The coming of the angel to Zechariah and, and then to Mary, it set off a chain of events. I want to say the time of silence was now over. The time of holding back the promise was now over. For now he appears to Joseph in a dream and then to shepherds in the field, to wise men. And then amazingly, seemingly nothing happens. For 30 long years. I mean, think of it. The angel comes. The messenger speaks. The baby John is born. The baby Jesus is born. Shepherds have come. They've given witness. And nothing happens for 30 long years. You see, in the time of fulfillment, there can be times where it seems like nothing is happening. But things are getting into place. And I want to just say to you, in your times of silence, just realize God is working, getting the right things in place. The only glimpse that we even have of God even moving was a glimpse in the life of Jesus at the age of 12 in the temple where he says, I must be about my father's business. And then he goes back, becomes subject to his mom. And then suddenly, I said then suddenly, there comes John out of the wilderness. He comes out and preaches his first sermon. And then things begin to happen as he begins to preach and people begin to gather and faith begins to rise and hope comes in the hearts of people. And, and then in the space of three and a half years, more or less, there's actually hundreds of scriptures that are suddenly and rapidly fulfilled. You see, there, there can be in the very time of fulfillment moments where it looks like God went back silent again. But he isn't. Even when you don't think it, he's working. He's getting things in place. You know, John couldn't go out and preach as a baby. He had to wait until he was grown. Hey, Jesus could not wait, could not do it until the age of 30. And then he would go into the ministry. There was these 30 years of silence where it looked like God wasn't moving. God wasn't doing anything. God did all this miraculous stuff, but nothing come of it. And all of a sudden, there's a voice of one that's crying in the wilderness. And then hundreds of scripture start being fulfilled. I'm trying to impart upon you today when God starts doing something, maybe nothing looks like there's a, nothing's happening. Listen, you know, with Sarah and Abraham, if Sarah and them hadn't went down there to, um, to Gerar and, and went there and the Abimelech, the king, see her, if we didn't have that story in the Bible, we would never know 
that Sarah had been changed to a young woman. But things were happening, even though the baby wasn't here yet. Come on, church. I mean, things were already taking place. There were changes that were happening. Some of them were subtle changes. Maybe they didn't happen in a day. You want your miracle to happen right now. A microwave miracle. You want everything right now. And God makes you wait for it. And John steps into this role of one kind in the wilderness. And Isaiah 40 begins to be fulfilled. Scripture begins to be fulfilled as he prepares the way of the Messiah. And suddenly light begins to shine on Scripture that was once dormant. That laid in the Bible for hundreds of years. And, and, And now a Scripture, an ancient Scripture 500 years before that. Do you realize how long ago that was? That's for America become a nation. Twice as long. And, and, and now a scripture that has been given and it lays dormant all of these years. And it says in Malachi, Malachi 3, Behold, I sent my messenger before my face. And it laid there and laid there and laid there, and laid there, and generations hoped, and generations believed, and generations said, it'll be our day, and it didn't happen, and other generations, it's our day, it's going to, this man, surely he's the one, and another, and now light comes on it, and it's quickened. Suddenly, suddenly, the Lord you're seeking come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty, And then the end time, from that point on, kicked into full gear. Come on. Yeah, it was the end time. I want to say to you, you're in the end time, but there's been many end times. It was the beginning of the end of the Old Testament. It was the beginning of the New Testament. There was an ushering out going on and an ushering in. You know, scripture that had been silent and was in obscurity for years suddenly become to life. And I say again that in this day, we have seen scripture come alive and rapid fulfillment of prophecy in our day. And we can say about much of this word that you have been privileged and blessed are your eyes for they saw them. They have seen this come to pass that much of the scripture has now been fulfilled are in the process of being fulfilled. It is in this generation that God has done and is doing mighty things as he winds up all events. Events that have to do with his coming, things that has to be in order. This would make men scream out uh, 70 years ago saying, you know, the the Bible days are here again. It's our restoration. They would declare, there's a man sent from God. This was taken from the scripture. Uh, spoke of John the Baptist in John 1 and 6. There was a man who sent from God whose name was John. And now in the last church age, in the Gentile dispensation, as it finishes out, once again, they declare a man has been sent from God whose name is William Branham. He comes like John the Baptist. 
to forerun the second coming of Christ. And the pillar of fire was there present in his birth, which made uh, and prompted unreligious parents to take him to church as a baby. And this boy would then have a voice called from a whirlwind saying, don't drink or smoke or defile your body in any way, for I have a work for you to do. Then nearly 90 years ago now, a voice cries out on the Ohio River, as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ, your message will forerun his second coming. As it was said of John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Many of the sons of Israel, he will turn back to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I want you to know God didn't remember, didn't forget you. He remembered you. He sent Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God sends you a message of preparation. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And as John turned the hearts of the Orthodox Jewish fathers to their children, men such as Peter, James, and John, that this Elijah would turn the hearts of the children to the Pentecostal fathers. Otherwise, I'm just gonna have to let the curse come. I'm just gonna have to let it all be destroyed because it's gonna happen. And if we breathe, we're now in the phases of the coming of the Lord. For the Lord does three things as he descends. He does a shout, a voice, and a trumpet. We've arrived at a time where the Lord has descended with a mighty shout. A mighty message. It's the presence of Christ in word form. And that's been sounded and it continues to sound and echo in this day to every corner of the world. And now Elijah has come and gone. And although men have tried to denominate this message or make it a personality cult, this message has not stopped progressing. It has not stopped reaching out into the dark corners of the earth. Amen. As we speak, it still reaches a predestinated seed of God to bring that elect that was foreknown of God before the foundation of the world. Let me tell you, it is a quick, short work that is being done. As Laodicea's the age of the quick work down in Russia, over in Ukraine, over in China, down in cave churches, over in Japan, over in Africa, down in Egypt, over in Asia, you know, everywhere the gospel is going out. I want you to understand, it's the gospel that Paul preached. I want you to understand it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand it's the pure and unadulterated word of God, untampered by denominations. Amen. Not hybrid with men's word. The word is going forth to get a bride in this age. Do you realize where we're at? Do you realize that we are in right now approaching 2023? So what a what does that have to do with it? Do you realize the Ephesian age began in, 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 
and AD 53, it ends in 170. That's 117 years. Do you realize 2023, this age will match Ephesus? Do you realize that this age will be as old as the Ephesian church? That the first, the Alpha and Omega churches will now be the same length of time. And all you can say as you look around the different ones here in this building today and those around the world, it's been the long suffering of God. It's because God had a plan for you and 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 you who wasn't even born then. For God to wait until this time to finish his work, to bring you to a place so that where you can be, have a part in the predestined plan and God has waited on you all of these years to get here and things to reach in their position so he can finish his work. Revelation chapter four, Brother Branham says this. He said, you see, we got these six days the world is labored in. We're up close to this seventh day now. And I, and I want to get the point because here again is another type. God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We have now had six days, 6,000 years upon the earth of man and, the, and sin raging reigning upon the earth and Satan comes to his climax in this last day. But then the seventh day will dawn. That seventh day is a day of rest. God says the world's gonna rest. Listen, we're, we're entering into the rest. Why do you think you receive the Holy Ghost? It's the rest. It is also the sign that you're about, that God's about taking his people into a rest. You're going to rest from your labors. You're going to rest from the hardships. You're going to rest from being sick and weary and tired and old age. There's a rest coming upon the earth. And you're right here on the cusp of it. Because the day of sin is about over. And he said, now, it won't run all the way out. He said, I'll have to cut the work short. If I don't, the atomic bomb will will destroy all flesh. And here we are. In the, in, the, in the church age, he says, the seventh age, a very short one, gathers up into itself for one quick work. All the evil of every age, stop for a minute. All the evil of every age heaps up into this one. You see, like a domino effect, it has been building. It is man, it is man increasing, increasing. Things are happening today that would have never been thought of to, to been done. And now here, here again, the evil of every age comes to its height. And yet he said, it, the short work, this, the seventh age, a very short age gathers up itself into one quick work, all the evil of every age. And yet, all the reality of Pentecost 
Once the Philadelphian age has run its course, the Laodicean age quickly comes in, bringing both the tares and the wheat to harvest. First bind the tares to burn them, but gather my wheat into my barn. So there's a gathering going on. So we have, been, we have arrived now at the hour where we are presently witnessing the fulfilling of 1 Thessalonians 4. God's doing exactly as he promised. Paul believed this was for his age. He would declare, we which are alive and remain. God didn't let him see seven church ages. Even when he shows it to John, he shows him seven angels and seven, seven cities, but he, he don't tell him, you know, it's going to be seven Gentile ages. He didn't, he didn't line the whole thing out. He didn't want them to be discouraged. He wants every age going down believing. Amen. So, you know, Paul would believe it for his age, but, but, but again, you know, it would be for 2,000 years of a Gentile dispensation of seven churches. But at the end of time, he promised to bring a bride. The people who was out without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, a virtuous, sinless bride of Christ that he would bring forth a people like that. Yeah, the saints of other ages were bride, but, but I'm talking about a people who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord a people of that bright age, the elect lady who is the fulfillment and the embodiment of the divine promises of God. And by the way, that vessel that God used single-handedly as a messenger of this age, I'm talking about Brother Branham. He lived on the earth 56 years. Here in just a few days, he will have been gone 57 years. He will be gone longer than he was here. But I want to say to you, the spirit of Elijah is still here. So how could Brother Brother Branham be gone and he was Elijah? He He was not Elijah. He was anointed with the spirit of Elijah. And the spirit of Elijah is Christ. Amen. And the spirit of Christ is here. And let me just say to you, Elisha is here in a double portion. It's not here in a single portion. It's actually here in a double portion. You see, this is it. It is God's crowning achievement that is coming into view. The marriage of the lamb, a spotless bride, dressed in the righteousness of the word of the hour. And after thousands of years of delay, remember Paul was looking for the fulfillment in his age. He wasn't thinking of us. He didn't even know we were to be here. Amen. But he said, including himself, we which are alive and remain. He believed it was for him, but it was hidden for him. Amen. So that for the the purpose of election, God had you in mind. So therefore, he delayed his fulfillment for seven church ages because he had no more names on the book that had to be manifested on the earth. And God would write all this mysteriously and symbolically. It is the book of Revelation giving us 
messages to the seven cities of Asia that would represent seven church ages. And here we are today at the last one. And here we are today. It's about run out. Here we are next year. It'll be the same. It won't be the shortest age. It'll be the same age as the Ephesian age. We're here where scripture is now being fulfilled. First Thessalonians be fulfilled. I want you to understand. Don't look at the Bible as scripture of the past. Look at the Bible as scripture of the present. This is not a funeral text. It's not just a word of comfort, though it's been used that for years and they were instructed to comfort one another with these words. But I want you to understand it's a prophecy. And I also want you to understand you are the object of that prophecy. Amen. Where that, where that we are now seeing in the hour the fulfillment of the presence of Christ that's bringing about a bride and bringing the word from book form to fresh form, from the flesh form, from prophecy to fulfillment. Now, let's think about it. Let's think about how the church has drug along now for many years and through the dark ages. Yet all the while, God has been moving. In no age has God forgot his church. He's working all along. In this kingdom, it would come in stages. It would advance from its original planting to harvest. I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 4 and verse 26, and let's just Look at the scripture how Jesus said the kingdom of God would come. And remember, this is his kingdom. So the gospel, this is, this is the news of his kingdom. And so he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise day and night and the seed should spring up and grow. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth the fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. So Jesus said, this kingdom is going to be like a man planting a seed. And you know, when the seed is planted, the seed will, will, will actually decay and out of that will come a life and then that life will come a blade and that blade will not look nothing like the seed. Amen. So you look at that and say, that ain't grain. That don't look like the seed. Looks nothing like what I planted. And that's the way the church would become. It would actually become through the dark ages nothing like the original Pentecost. It would lose its true baptism. It would lose the truth of Godhead. It would lose the truth of predestination. It would lose the original sin and what took place in the garden. It would lose all of the truths of the Bible. And it would come up as a little puny little green blade. Jesus said, this is the way my kingdom will come. It will progress from seed to seed. From grain to grain. And in between that would be a time that it looks nothing like the seed I planted. But the life will be in it. But it will not be the grain. But it's going to come to the grain. 
But before it comes to the grain, there will come an ear. And when it comes from the ear, it will move from that to the full ear. Now, I wanted to say to you, we are in the day and the hour where that it changes from the grain or the, 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 the ear to the full corn in the ear. Now, do you notice Jesus speaks that way? Again, I want to emphasize it. The ear and then the full corn in the ear. That's what's going to be in the end time. That, in other words, before the full ear comes, there's going to be a move of God that will actually look like the grain. But it won't be the grain. It has to come into its fullness. And when it reaches its fullness, then the rapture will take place, the harvest time. This is our age. It is the harvest age. It is, it is when that the church, uh, that when the ear first comes and the church begins this dramatic change from looking nothing like an ear of grain to becoming the ear. All of a sudden, we start having things happen that looks like it's the real full ear. And it's the ear, it's the move of God. Don't denounce it. But it ain't what I'm going to harvest. I'm going to wait until the fullness. You see, I want to get something because it will come in power. It will come with anointings. It will come with miraculous and with healing. It will come in the spirit, but not have the word. But I'm going to bring it to the full ear and I'm going to restore back the word. But with that word, it to come to the full ear. It's going to have to be both word and spirit. It cannot be one or the other. It has to be both. It cannot be word only. It must come in power and great assurance. It cannot be a, a word and no faith. It cannot be the word and no manifestations of the spirit of God, of healings and miracles, of tongues, of gifts, of signs and wonders. It cannot be that. The word has to be accompanied with spirit to be the full ear. Now, Brother Branham tells us in the resume of the ages, he said, now, it came to this. It came to the ear. He said, this age started around the turn of the 20th century as it was to be the age in which the true church would return to be in the bride. She was at Pentecost. We know there must of necessity be a return of dynamic power. And the believers sense this in their spirit and they begin to cry to God for a new outpouring as such as was in the first century. And what seemed to be the answer came as many began to speak in tongues and manifest gifts of the spirit. And they believed that it was indeed the long-awaited restoration. It was not. It wasn't a full ear. It was a move of God and it was advancement. But it wasn't all that God promised. And he said the reason for this, the latter rain can only come after the former rain, which is the spring or the teaching rain. 
The latter rain then is the harvest rain. Now, how could this be the real thing when the teaching rain had not come? The prophet messenger who was sent to teach the people and to turn the hearts of the children back to the Pentecostal fathers had not yet come. So here we have 1906, and we have the move of the Spirit, and they think it's a long-awaited restoration, and yet God is restoring, but it isn't the full restoration. And he said, they're calling it the latter rain, and he said, how can it be the latter rain? When the former rain, the early rain has not happened because, you see, it would take a prophet to come, somebody with me, Amen, to teach the people to turn our hearts back to the original faith again. Hallelujah. Now, thus, what was thought to be the restoration and the final quickening of the rapture had not come. It was a mixture of the unrighteous. I want you to watch this. It was a mixture of the unrighteous partaking of spiritual blessings and manifesting in the Holy Ghost, as we kept pointing out to you. It was also devil power, as men were under control of devils and no one seemed to realize it. And then to prove it was not real, these people, even before the second generation, had appeared and they organized and wrote their unscriptural doctrines and built their own fences as every other group ahead of this of them did. And Brother Branham called this fungus on the ear. And I just want to say, when we look back and we point fingers at Azusa Street, and we look at the mistakes that they made, I just want to say, we've not been squeaky clean either. We've had our share of fungus. There have been men, preachers under the message, under the control of devil power, who organized and made personality cults. There have been adulterers in the pulpit, polygamists, who took the very words of the prophet of God to try and, 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 and use it for their own lustful purpose. There have been homosexuals and adulterers in the pulpit. There have been personality cults that have built their fences and organized so tightly around truths such as thunder or the perusia of the presence or the return ministry or the tape-only cult. All of these have risen up fungus on the ear. The Pentecostal denominations was the fungus on the ear. Organizing over initial evidence among other things, that was fungus. That was not the ear. I want to go back for a moment. I want you to understand you've got to look at the difference. You're looking at the seed and you're looking at the ear and you're seeing the fungus. I want you to see the fungus was not the ear. The Pentecostal organization was the fungus. It was not the ear. And when you're looking at back there, you know, sometimes all you see is the wrong. I want you to see God was moving and God was remembering and God was preparing. I want you to begin to see it as a move of God, not just as a move of the devil. Yeah, there was fungus on the ear. Yeah. They organized over initial evidence, among other things. 
But you know, the leaders of the Zeus movement, they understood this too. F.F. Bosworth. Do you know Brother Bosworth? He was an early Azusa Street revivalist. And he debated at the Assembly of God conference that tongues was not the evidence. Do you know that man got thrown out of the organization because of it? There were men of God that was right there, true Pentecostals, who was standing for the truth and calling it what it was. You know, there there was uh, William Seymour that said, now, don't go from this meeting. He, William Seymour was the, uh, was the man, the pastor of Azusa Mission there. And he said, don't go from this meeting and talk about tongues. But try to get people saved. He counseled them against all in believing and fleshly demonstration. And everything was, that was not truly of the spirit. There were, their, their very leaders recognized this is fungus. This is wrong. And they cried out against it. Brother Seymour constantly exalted the atoning work of Christ, the word of God, and very earnestly insisted on thorough conversion, holiness of heart and life, and the fullness of the spirit. Another leader of theirs, John G. Lake, you know, he would talk about the same thing, and I've quoted this to you before, but John G. Lake was called the apostle of South Africa. He was a man who was sent out by the Holy Spirit from Azusa Street to take the gospel over to South Africa. And he said that marvelous wave of God came over the country from 1900 to 1906 when hundreds of thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. But listen, oh, John Alexander, Riot Dowie, he, he riding on the wave of that wonderful manifestation of healing power. He wanted to build a church and stamp it with healing only and his church practically did that and died. And other churches branded theirs with holiness only And they died. He's talking about pilgrim holiness, Nazarenes, all of them. They died. Others with an anointing of the Holy Ghost called baptism, they died in power also. Later on, we wanted to build a great structure and step it with tongues. And after a while, tongues got dry. Somehow the glory and the glow had gone out of them. They become rattly and did not sound right. What was the matter? Nothing was wrong with the experience. God had not departed from the life but was hidden from our view and we were absorbed in the phenomena of God and not God himself. But don't be against Pentecost. I want you to say it is the experience you must have. Without the dynamics of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost, you will not go in the rapture. Brother Adam told us in the message token, he promised Malachi 4 he would do this and manifest his word to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the original Pentecostal word, the real Bible word. The Pentecostal, they claim Pentecostal's organization. There's no such a thing. Pentecost is an experience, not an organization. They tried to organize it But you can't. It doesn't organize. Pentecost is an experience. Listen, it is the seal of God, the Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost. Notice what he said. It's not an organization. It is an experience. And it is the seal of God that came on the day of Pentecost. Brother Branham tells us in Jehovah Jireh, 
He said, I know they say Pentecost, they organized Pentecost. That's wrong. Pentecost is an experience. The Methodists get it. The Baptists get it. All of them get it. Pentecost is not organized. It's an experience. And if you haven't received the experience of Pentecost, come receive it now. Remember, if you believe me to be his servant, his prophet, remember there is a genuine baptism of the Holy Ghost right in the midst of all the fanaticism. There is still a genuine Holy Ghost birth, a genuine born of God. And he said, you come, believe it now. But nevertheless, though the Azusa movement was not the long-awaited restoration, it was so close. It was so close. Jesus said he would come and bring the ear and then the full ear. I want you to get it. A stage where you would have both the ear and the full ear. Watch now. The Azusa Street movement was not the long awaited restoration, but was so close. It looked so much like the grain that the prophet of God, over and over, through the 50s, the early 60s, Brother Branham taught, uh, he actually thought that what happened on Azusa Street was the original grain. He actually taught. This is the seed. It's the original grain again. It was so close. I mean, you know, people in this message don't want to be nothing like Azusa Street. But let me tell you again, it was so close to being the real thing that Brother Branham said over and over again. I know, I've got collections of quotes. He said over and over again that the Pentecostal movement of this day was the original grain. And he would come later and said, it's so close it would have deceived the elect if it were possible. That's how close it would come. So at first... He declared fervently and passionately and asserted that the Azusa revival was the return to the original. It was not, and if you become a message student, you'll learn, it was not until the seals was opened that he realized it was not the grain but the shuck. It was still a part of the wheat plant. It was indeed a move of God. It even had elements of restoration in it. It had dynamics, but it lacked the mechanics. It lacked the word being revealed. The Holy Ghost was falling upon these people that he is saying is original grain, and they're Trinitarians. They're baptizing in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They got every, all kinds of, of, of truths wrong. They're trying to build a denomination out of it. They do. And yet Brother Branham is looking at it and he's declaring, that's the grain, that's the grain, that's the grain. It's the original grain. It may have some fungus on it, but it's the grain. I know that's shocking to a lot of people. But the grain would not just be the dynamics of the spirit movement, 
I want, I want to get to, I want you to understand. The spirit moving on Azusa Street was the dynamics of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was moving. That was the power of God. It was a demonstration of the things that had happened in the book of Acts were now happening again. But they lacked the word. Now, they lacked the original doctrines that Paul preached. Now, let me just say, if it's all mechanics, word, and no dynamics, it's not the fullier either. If it's all dynamics and not the fullness of the word, it's not the fullier either. The only way to be the full ear is to have mechanics and dynamics Word and spirit. Your religion without emotion is dead. But remember, I want you to know, though it looked like the whole, the the grain, until Brother Branham called it the grain all the way past the seal, when when he finally realizes what he's looking at is not the grain after all. It's not the full ear. And he says, like I said, I know this. I've thoroughly researched it. He said the Azusa Street was so much like the grain. He said it is the grain. Let me just read this from from the masterpiece. The stalk doesn't look like the seed. Neither does the tassel. Now, Pentecostal brethren throughout the nation, I want you to listen. If this is the last message I'll ever preach, this is my masterpiece. Do you realize when the wheat, the corn of wheat falls on the ground, when it begins to form back to its grain again, what's nature? Nature exactly is God. God's working in nature. It's all he can. But from that original revival, Pentecost revival, they think was a seed. It wasn't. Now watch. Something came forth just like the seed. Now watch. Jesus said in St. Matthew 24, 24, that two spirits in the last day would be so close together, it would deceive the elected if possible. The stalk don't look nothing like a seed. Neither does a tassel look like a seed. But notice, not in Luther's day, but in the last day. The first thing, there's a farmer's, wheat farmer sitting here. The first thing comes from a wheat seed. You would think it was a seed, but what? It's, it's the husk. It forms a little outside thing to hold the seed. It forms a husk, but the husk is not the seed. No more than the tassel that the stalk was. It's only a carrier of the life. The corn of wheat See, then St. John 12, see Jesus speaking. The, the wheat after the tassel, after the wesley, puts forth the husk, which is the foremost like the grain than anything else. The husk is more like the grain. It's coming more like the grain all the time. The one that went into the ground. But when it, and when it comes forth, the stalk, it's got the life in it. But sure, it isn't the grain. Comes forth the tassel, the pollen, still isn't the grain. And then it comes forth the husk, and it's just in the shape of the wheat, just exactly like a grain of wheat. But yet it isn't the wheat, just exactly in the same shape, perfectly. Pentecostals come out just like the wheat would. Each one coming out of the other, coming out of the other, but they're only a carrier. They go into denomination. And what did Pentecostals do when it come out just like the grain? It went back, like in Revelation 17, to one of the sister denominations, that's exactly what, what Jesus said. Now watch, the gospel's gonna come out through Luther, 
through Wesley in the Pentecost and the last days it will see the very elected if possible. The elected old Pentecostal brethren, can't you see it? The wheat in its first beginning is just like the seed when it begins to form like the seed. But it's the husk. Watch now. Azusa Street was just like the seed. But it was the husk. Notice the life, he said. He said the grain seed in the original fell at Nicaea if it was the first denomination. Now here, the light that was in the stock, the tassel all ends up in the seed. The light that comes out of the original seed comes through the different processes, three different processes, then turns back to its original condition. He said, hallelujah, oh my, I'm the happiest person in the world that God has let me see this. He saw that there was something that was more pure than Azusa Street, that it would have more than just spirit, but it would have the word to accompany the spirit and become the full ear of grain. Hold on now. The Azusa Street movement was not the full ear. Let me just say this. Neither is a lot of this stuff we call message. Pentecost is not a denomination. Pentecost is an experience you must have. Remember, Pentecost is an experience. It's the seal of God. We've done been through that. Brother Branham tells us Pentecost is the only thing that was going to prove Christianity. You can't prove it by science. You can't prove it by nothing but a Pentecostal experience. I want just to say, though their, their, uh, though their doctrine was wrong, the experience was right. Amen. It was the Holy Ghost moving. Amen. It was the Spirit of God. Let me just say to you, the New Testament is not a record of what happened in one generation. It's the blueprint of what should happen in every generation. Until Jesus comes, every generation must be regenerated by the Holy Ghost. Let's look at this for a moment. Brother Branham tells us the church that was at Pentecost is the standard. That is the pattern. They didn't just have the word, they had the spirit. They didn't just have the spirit, they had the word. Somebody help me preach. They had the original gospel of Jesus Christ plus the Holy Spirit. Amen. They did not have mechanics and no dynamics. They had dynamics and mechanics. They had it all. Now, again, I want you to understand, we are in the apostolic age. As long as God is still calling, the uh, apostolic age is still on. So you're just as much as an apostolic age as it were in, on the day of Pentecost where God is now fulfilling his word just like he promised. You know, because this, this is what Brother Brandon said, until he stops calling the Pentecostal message and power will not cease. So you can know that we are in an apostolic age. We're in an apostolic fulfillment. Because God will not forget his promise. He will consummate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Brother Branham tells us, 
He said, now, what Satan did, he got in it to make it all mechanics and no dynamics. Or back all dynamics and no mechanics. We've got to have it together. So Satan will get in the church. Here's where the fungus comes. I want you to get it clear. Here's where the fungus comes. To make it all dynamics and no mechanics, no word. Or all word and no spirit. And both of them are the fungus on the plant. And they distort the seed to make it look like nothing like the original. Because to have the word without spirit, you don't look like the original. To have the spirit without the word, you don't look like the original. But God promised he's going to bring it back to his original planting. Amen, because God does not forget. Remember, the dynamics is the Holy Spirit. Paul would say, our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and in Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And when you have a church, when you have a movement, when you have a group of people that are all word and no spirit, or all spirit and no word, you have a, you have a people who are full of fungus. Now, it'll take the dynamics, and I I don't have time to go on it, but I just want you to understand, I want you to understand something. God is not through pouring out his spirit. He has started it in the first day, I mean, the first of this age, Laodicea, and he's going to bring it all the way into fruition. Amen. Amen, come on. He has not quit calling And the promises unto you, to your children, as many as the Lord thy God shall call. And as long as God's calling, the apostolic age is still in. And the full ear will have both power and word. They will not be void of the Spirit of God, nor void of the Word of God. Now, let's get this clear, what the church will be. Because I just want to say, how come? How come has the church now backslid into the Campbellite, Alexander Dowie, Church of Christ mentality and thinking, saying like they did, because they said, we now, we now, we have the perfect canon of the New Testament. It's all, it's all available. The Bible is complete. That which is perfect has come and, and it's a more perfect way. So God does not heal anymore. God does not deliver anymore. God does not do any of these things anymore. It's all over with. You know, miracles are ceased because we now have the perfect word. But I want to assert the perfect word brings the power. The perfect word brings deliverance. The more perfect way has signs and wonders and faith and gifts of the spirit and the power of God. And you can't have a perfect way and a full ear and not have it. Now, Brother Branham said about them early Pentecostals that he thought was grain or the full ear. He said if you took a microscope I wanted to say that's a prophetic guy. That's a microscope. He said, you would see there was a little tiny grain starting there. 
So you go all the way back to Azusa Street and you put the prophetic eye on it. You see more than just husk. You see a little tiny immature grain starting there. Because they would get the spirit without having the word returned or restored. But God said, I'm going to remember my promise. I hadn't forgot it. I'm going to bring forth a bride who will have the fullness of the word, who the mysteries will be revealed to, who will understand what the thunder said. Somebody help me preach. Amen. Who the mysteries of God have been manifest to, who baptized right, who understand they were chosen before the foundation of the world, who preached the gospel that Paul preached, and they also have the power of the apostles. Way back under the microscope, you can see a little bud, then comes the grain. The seed not air with the shuck. He said when sanctification moved over to pilgrim holiness and so forth, all the pilgrim holiness organizations, Nazarenes and so forth, it moved from there right out in this Pentecostal age. And look at that little grain now of wheat. It looks a million times more like the original wheat. Wait a minute. Azusa Street looked a million times more like it, like the grain, than the Methodists, than the Baptists. Million times more like the original wheat that went to the ground than the stalk did or the pollen did. But if you sit down and you pull it, put it under glass and you open up these little shucks, they're just carriers also. The grain hadn't started yet. It's a little bitty bud right in the back with the big high-powered glass. You can see that little tip like a, little, uh, like a pinpoint. And then comes the seed. And then, the, then here, this here shuck that looks just exactly like the real thing. It isn't the real thing. It's only a womb. I just want to say, don't hate your mother. Don't lick, come on. Don't despise your mother. She was the womb you were to be born out of. Out of the womb of the Azusa movement came a prophet. Out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came the word revealed. Now, those early Pentecostals, they believed that the Lord healed today just as of old. And many of them had marvelous healings themselves. They were one and all. They were eagerly looking for the coming of the Lord. They were, every one of them honored the word of God, believing in every part of it. They, they were seeking not to, not to be just hearers of the word. They wanted to be doers of the word. They believed that indeed they were now living in the last days. And, and they would quote the scripture of Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the Lord Jesus himself had exalted at the right hand of the Father was the one who had shed forth this light that you now see and hear. They believed that God was pouring out his spirit. We ought to believe that. To be the true, come on. We ought to believe God is pouring out his spirit. And we must have his spirit. We cannot be just satisfied with having the message. 
and sit him back, you know, smugly and say, well, we've got all of the word and we've got all the message and you have no spirit. In those days, there were Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Congregationalist, Episcopalian, Holiness, people, Christians from every denomination from, nor from no denomination who had received the experience. These spirit-filled ones were made very much of the precious blood of Jesus and that the cross of Christ had been made real to them through the power of the Holy Ghost. They believed that the Lord healed today just as of old. Many of them had marvelous healings. They looked for his coming. They expected it. God started pouring out his spirit in 1906. Actually, I want to say at the turning of the century, you'll find out in 1900, God began to pour out his spirit. It actually would begin at Topeka, Kansas. As the day dawned, in that early day of January the 1st, 1900, in Topeka, Kansas, there was a group of people that were gathered together studying the scripture. And they were looking there, wouldn't you? And they were saying, we want to be like the book of Acts. We want to see the power of God. We must have the experience that they had on the day of Pentecost. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were calling on God. And they were studying the scripture earnestly to see that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost for they, their day and time. And they were believing you know, that it was, it's our day, it's our time, it's our hour for this to happen. Amen. Let's talk about the shuck for a moment. That husk that looks so much like the grain. I want to get it back to you. It looks so much like the real. Till Brother Branham called it the real. I want you to understand. That move of God looked like the grain. Let me reverse it. Then this move of God, the grain, has to look like that. Within that chuck, the prophetic eye looked upon it, discerned this little bud of grain coming up there. It wasn't mature. It was still in its infancy. Still had Trinitarian views. It still was confused on a lot of truths. The seals hadn't been taken off the book. It was more dynamics than it was doctrinal word. They made doctrinal word out of things that wasn't even scriptural. And the shuck, but out of that shuck, or that shuck would become the womb that the grain would be born out of. But God had remembered his promise. And his promise, I want you to get it, God remembers. And he remembers his promise that says, in the last days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. Acts 2, 17, it shall come to pass in that day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. This is what happened when God pours out his spirit. They prophesy, young men see visions. Oh, men, dream dreams. Oh, my servants, my handmaids, I pour out my spirits in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath. Isaiah would prophesy. These are scriptures that had to be fulfilled and anointed in our day. For he said in Isaiah 28, 11, for with stammered lips 
and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherein you may cause the weary to rest and this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. And by the way, like I said, it didn't even start in Azusa Street. That's where it received notoriety, but that's not where it started. It started in Topeka, Kansas, six years before that. January the 1st, first day of the year of the new century. Something began to happen. A young girl named Agnes in Topeka, Kansas was one of the first to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She testified that it was 11 o'clock on this 1st of January that it came in her heart. She'd been studying in the Bible with all the other students in A.B. Simpson School. And she saw there that many times the Holy Ghost would come when someone was laid on with hands. And hands was, she asked, she asked that hands would be laid on her and, and upon her head well, they laid their hands and, and, and they were just, they just saying, God, you know, just do what you said and fulfill your promise. And, you know, and, and said his hands was laid upon her head. The Holy Spirit began to fall upon her and she began glorifying God. She spoke in several languages that day. And, the, you know, it was, she said, it was though as rivers of living water were proceeding from my innermost being. And I wanted to say, these living waters were not gibberish. They were not manufactured. You know, there was nobody jiggling her chin saying, Jesus, Jesus, till she had a confusion of language. These were real. In fact, they were so real, the next day she prayed for a man in English and then began to speak in tongues again. And the man was from Bohemia, the western part of what is now Czech Republic, and she spoke his language, and he, he understood what she said. So you see, what happened there was not a confusion of tongues. It was not unknown tongues. It was not gibberish. It was languages. Amen. Now, news of this outpouring began to be heard everywhere, and from there, it spread from Kansas. And the news that God was pouring out of spirit, it reached the I reached down to a Bible school that held down in Houston, Texas. There was a man that was sitting out in the hallway. You know, he was a black man. This was a white school. Laws were there where they wouldn't let this black man mix with the whites. So he's sitting out in the hallway listening. And something strikes his heart when he hears about the Holy Spirit being poured out like on the day of Pentecost. And this man begins to seek for the baptism of the Holy Ghost and begin to preach, you know, that this can happen in our day and this is the word of the Lord and this is what happened then. We can see Bible days again and we can have the book of Acts working upon us. By the way, when, if, this, if, this, if this tree ever puts forth another branch, what kind of branch would it put out? Amen, another book of Acts. Somebody help me preach. That's what's promised. When God remembers, I'm going to bring it to fruition. Look what he said, look what he happens. You know, again, he began to be convinced this is that. I haven't received it. I don't know how it feels, but I believe it. And he began to pray for it and he began to preach it. And, and you know, somebody, 
there met him there and said, you know, there's a church in Los Angeles, California that is looking for a pastor. And, and so, again, he packed up and he moved all the way to Los Angeles feeling it was the call of God. He got up and he preached just what we're talking about. You know, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. They spoke with other tongues. We can have what they had in the book of Acts. This disturbed that church so much they locked the doors on him and turned him out. A Baptist couple invited him to come to a prayer meeting in their home and they began to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This was on 214 North Bonnie Bray Street. And here people begin to gather and they begin to pray. They begin to ask God for an outpouring. Look, Lord, look, you know, again, you, you promised to come. You promised that you would reveal yourself. You said you would pour out your spirit. I want that Holy Spirit. And they were calling out to God for it. And God remembered his promise. And things began to happen. It would actually be on you know, there that miracles were taking place, healings and miracles and things happening. But yet, you know, at the same time of these miracles happening, uh, they still had not received that outpouring that they were looking for. So they were still calling out to God. On April the 9th, 1906, Seymour was about to leave for a prayer meeting because they had to leave the house on Bonnie Bray and move over to a, an old barn on, on Azusa Street. And, and there in this old barn, they were meeting for a prayer meeting because so many people had become. And there, there was a man by the name of Edward Lee. He walked out and he asked for prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that he had heard preached about. It had never happened there. Seymour had never received it. You know, it had not broke out yet. But at that meeting, you know, when, when he... Uh, when he asked for that, he prayed for him, laid hands on him, and Lee suddenly began to give glory to God in other tongues. As a, at the meeting that night, this surprised Seymour. You know, he, he was so surprised by it, and he told what had happened. Time of earnest prayer broke out. At the end of the meeting, seven people were now speaking in other tongues, other languages, languages they had never studied. One woman, a maid who worked at a home across the street, she had come to the prayer meeting. She, she went to the piano, so moved by the Spirit, and began to play you know, beautifully, never having a lesson in her life. Her gift proved to be permanent. It never left her. Amen. You know, and then from there, there were great men that rose up in the power of the Spirit, Men like Charles Price, John G. Lake, F.L. Bosworth, Smith Wigglesworth. I want you to understand, these were men of God. This was a move of God. This was the dynamics. This was the Holy Ghost falling. Amen. The word hadn't come, but the power of it was already falling. I want you to get it. God was remembering his promise. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and there are people now responding. Men would rise up that would spark a faith in their heart that would believe in God doing the impossible. Let me tell you. One day there was this 15-year-old boy 
His name was Kenneth Ware. One of your kin folks, by the way. Kenneth Ware was hurrying down the street. He heard a man's voice ring out. Come here, boy. Put out your tongue. He'd never seen the man before. This man had never even introduced himself. Kenneth didn't have the nerve to run off. He did what the man ordered. One reason he couldn't say a word because he knew if he tried, he'd only stutter. His speech impediment had such a serious drawback to him as long, long as he could remember. But before he knew what, ha- what had happened, this audacious man reached out and grabbed his tongue. And he said, lad, this tongue will preach the gospel. And then he walked away. From that moment forward, Kenneth never stuttered again. He preached his first sermon at age 17, became a lifelong missionary, especially to the Jewish refugees in France, and that stranger who had stopped him on the street was none other than the bold British evangelist Smith Wigglesworth. I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you, it looked like the grain. I'm trying to tell you, life was in it. And that life was the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to tell you, it had dynamics in it. Amen. They didn't have the mechanics yet, but the dynamics was already there. God was already moving. Smith Wigglesworth. I I know we got great things that we could acclaim about the prophet of this day, but I want to just say Smith Wigglesworth, he was staying with an assistant to, to as a, he was staying in a home that was an assistant priest. And this, this man had, had amputation of both legs below the knee. In those days, prosthetics was, weren't available to help people like that. And after dinner, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth blurted out to the man, go and get a new pair of shoes in the morning. Is this a kind of a cruel joke? What was it? He hardly knew how to take this directive. But during the night, he sensed that God was saying something to him. He could get no sleep the rest of the night. The next morning, found him in his wheelchair in front of the shoe shop. When the shoe shop opened, he rolled in and said to the clerk, would you get me a pair of shoes? And the clerk said, well, what color, what, what size, what color? And then he looked down and saw no feet, and he said, sir, I can't help you. He said, it's all right, young man. So just, just, I do want a pair of shoes. I want size eight, and I want color black. Well, the clerk couldn't think of what else to do, so he just went and got the requested shoes. And when he returned, the, the, this man stuck out one foot for the shoe to be put on, And a leg grew out of that stump with a foot. And the next thing you know, he stuck out the other leg and out of that leg grew another foot. And he went out wearing a size eight black pair of shoes because a man of God was operating as they did in the book of Acts. Because God had not forgotten 
his promise and God was doing the impossible. Hallelujah. Amen. While Smith Wigglesworth wasn't surprised at all, he said, God can, God can, you know, if God can heal a bone and put it back together, God can make new feet. Listen, it is promised by the spoken word in this day under the seven seals, the prophet of God said, we are looking for the time where missing limbs will be restored again. I'm here to tell you the dynamics is not over. The dynamics has not stopped and the dynamics will never stop. In fact, of the matter, you can expect it more because we are now in the full ear. We are now in the full ear. It's not husk anymore. Dynamics and no word. Neither is it some kind of stock with, well, you know, theories and words and doctrines and no power. And I want you to know that God began doing that because God remembered his promise. During Smith Wigglesworth's ministry, 14 different people were raised from the dead. I'm telling you, this is what happened in our generation. I'm telling you, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit overshadows. I'm telling you, you are in the day of the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God has not stopped doing his work, but God has now just begun his work. We are now in the harvest season and that means there is a mature bride, a mature grain coming into view. Amen, I'm telling you this morning, don't expect less in the coming year. I'm telling you, we're winding up the age. Hallelujah, and in this age is the fullness of Pentecost again, the book of Acts restored of people with the word and the power. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you need to be a people just exactly like they were, crying out to God on the outside that day when the angel appeared. A people under expectancy, a people under who are believing, a people who are looking for that sudden change. Because I want you to understand, suddenly, 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 Brother Ron tells about a man, suddenly, an angel suddenly coming into his room, sitting down on his bed, putting his hand on his leg. God letting him know you're not in this alone. When my wife was passing away, suddenly, one morning, an angel walked into the room of Brother Derek Paris, a man who don't make things up, holding an official document and saying, Karen Pruitt, it is, this is to certify that Karen Pruitt is being ushered to the other side. 
Because God don't forget. I don't have permission to tell this. Just one of my fellow ministers the other day wrote me, he said, Brother Tim, he said, something tremendous has happened. He said, I was here in a meeting. He's a young man. He's a young man, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit has moved on before. But he said, I was getting ready for a meeting. I was sitting in the study, and suddenly a whirlwind came in my room. And a being sat down in a chair right beside me. And that presence of God so overwhelmed me, I went out and preached with such authority and power. And now sick has been healed and people were delivered of every kind of thing. And I want you to know, suddenly, it may be when you're offering the, the prayer today that the angel will show up. That suddenly, Things will change. I am telling you as your pastor, as your brother, get ready for sudden changes. In a moment of discouragement, in a moment where that, you know, where things were happening that he didn't want to even happen, suddenly the angel of God stepped into an old cabin and met with a man who would become a prophet of God and tell him from here on, from here on you are gifted and I'm sending you out with signs. And he said, it's because the near coming, the coming of the Lord is near. Oh, but that was 77 years ago. Oh, but that was a long time ago. Oh, but it seemed like there's been nothing happening. Oh, but everybody's given up. Oh, we just settled down and think the message just turned into another organization. We got a headquarters in Jeffersonville and everybody just sits down and does what the prophet says or the headquarters says. Oh, we're just going to have an Ishmael. It'll stand in another denomination. It won't. I want to tell you seven angels came from another dimension to bring the opening of the seven seals because God had wrote it in his book and he swore by him that liveth forever and ever that there won't always be a delay. That time shall be no more. That the delay will one day be over. And I'm here to tell you we are here where things are rapidly happening. And I'm here to say don't give up on your promise. I'm here to say how it will be. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. What are you going to say? What are you going to say?
Can you bow your heads? What will you say? What will be your response? God, you're lying. How can I know this is true? This is impossible. Can't never happen with me. What are you going to say? Are you going to say, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord? You said it would happen. Pour out your spirit on me. God, you're remembering your promise. Before I, before I utter any more unbelief, shut my mouth. But Lord, let mine be a profession of faith. Be it to me now, according to that word. Lord, we have the message. We have the truth. Even in Light Tabernacle, you're not behind on any truth. Thunders, we know what they are. Seals, we know what those symbols have been revealed. Seventh seal, the silence has been broken. The mysteries of God, we know the right baptism. So I got the word down, Brother Tim. Maybe what you need is the power. Come on. How long are you going to sulk in your tent? How long are you going to look at the promise and scoff and laugh and just say, I can't ever happen. You know, it's never, never going to happen to me. It can't be mine. How long are you going to sit back there in your doldrums when the angel of God has shown himself present? God's given you words. He's promised you children. He's promised you healings. He's promised you deliverance. What are you going to say to it? He promised you salvation today. How long are you going to sit there in your little doldrums, in your little bit of unbelief, and dope a little, and smoke a little, drink a little, lie a little, cuss a little, or a lot? How long are you not going to exemplify a Christian life? How long are you going to just put off the Holy Ghost for you and for your promise? Is your prayer matching the last of the book of Revelation? Are you in agreement with his coming? Behold, I come quickly. He came on Azusa Street. He came in Topeka, Kansas. He came when an angel came in 1933 on the Ohio River. He came again in 1946. He came in 1963. He comes today. He'll come on you. Where is there a handmaid today that I say, here's, here I am. Here's the handmaid. 
here's the bride, here I am, be it unto me according to thy word. Are you ready to say amen to his coming? Are you ready to say amen, Lord? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. How many would say this morning to your pew, even so, come, Jesus, come. Come to my pew. Come to where I am. Come into this house. Pour out your spirit. Let the dynamics come. The word is in my heart. I have believed it. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you'll take the words, Lord, that was spoke today. Let there be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right here at Evening Light Tabernacle, Lord, may there be men and women that are filled with the Spirit of God, drunk under the power of the influence of the Holy Spirit. The wine of stimulation come because they've really taken in the revelation. I ask it in Jesus' name.